Welcome to Lost in Revision. All of our content is public domain, literature, fairy tales, and folklore. Our goal is to at least break even to cover our expenses. So any support that you can offer to help us reach that goal helps keep this podcast going and you entertained. All of our music is by Nathan Hubble and is used with his permission. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to Lost in Revision, brought to you mostly by Angel and Polly this month since I didn't prep at all till 7 a.m. this morning. I'm here as always with two of my favorite humans, Angel and Polly. How are you today, Angel? Well, still battling the crud that refuses to stop, but I actually managed to get the tree decorated and stockings hung by the fireplace this weekend, hoping to get the nativity set up on the bookshelf and the yard decorations put out this afternoon. (laughs) <laughs> I think we're putting up a cat tree instead of a Christmas tree this year with 10 cats in the house. A tree won't even stay standing, let alone decorated. <laughs> well, oh, good heavens. they do make some cute cat Christmas trees now. Um, Maybe we'll hang some tinsel on it. Right? <laughs> Maybe find cat friendly tinsel so they don't just eat it and end up with a vet visit. <laughs> So I've been opening advent calendars on TikTok and I used the Hag Corner account and one of the advent calendars I'm opening is a really cute Lego Christmas tree. It's like an off-brand Legos and I'm building it in other videos. So uh, we have more TikTok followers than podcast followers now, but I do see a few new downloads every single day. So I think TikTok is helping us gain a following. So hello to all the TikTokers out there. We love you. <laughs> so how about you, Polly? How's your day? Well, tomorrow's my anniversary. So happy anniversary to my beloved peanut gallery. happy anniversary polly and we love you too peanut gallery (laughs) yeah that's awesome congrats 24 years damn right (laughs) that's just too many um (laughs) that's scary (laughs) sorry i'm now going (laughs) so let's go ahead and get started so polly why don't you tell us the history and culture of this story It's hard to tell how old the story is. I've been hard-pressed to find a version of it written down, so I had to write one myself from memory. So this is, I wrote it. I've only encountered it in oral form before now. So this is definitely public domain. We have the rights. So this is not public domain, but it is ours. (laughs) Yeah. Sweet. I love that you recorded a legit oral tradition. It makes my little history teacher heart very happy. I agree. I think this is our first episode to be classified more as folklore than fairy tale. Baba Yaga being a very close second. Yeah, well, I tried to be really sensitive to the indigenous history when I wrote it down. When I was a child at summer camp in North Georgia, that wasn't such a concern. There was Spanish moss all over, and we would pull it out and wear it in our hair, or use it in art projects. And when we would go on hikes, someone always told the story of the Indian princess and the Spanish pirate and how her hair became the Spanish moss. And that's the story I have related here. Oh, wow. I don't think I picked up on the Spanish dude being a pirate in the story when I read it. I immediately thought conquistador. Pirate is even better. Interesting. I always thought of the conquistadors as very piratey characters. <laughs> See, I always thought the, thought of them as military rather than pirate. 
Military can be pirate too. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, I, I did a lot of research into the Tamiqua people, which was a tribe that lived in the deep south area when the Spanish came around. Uh, the Spanish were more explorers when they encountered the Tamiqua. They had a lot of dealings with the Spanish explorers. They they assisted them with uh, travel and getting through the swamps and translations and all that. But ultimately, they were unfortunately wiped out by the Europeans between disease and actual genocide. Mm. So the story varies whether the indigenous woman has an indigenous man or if it's just the love of her people. The hanging of the hair in the trees is a real thing that the Tamiqua people did, according to my research. I don't know about the Mississippi or the Louisiana tribes, but the story is also said to originate in either or both of those places or in the Carolinas, uh, it, basically all over the South. Uh, either way, it's an indigenous woman pursued by a Spanish pirate, and her hair is hung in the trees by the people of her tribe who love her. Oddly enough, I don't recall ever hearing a story about the origin of Spanish moss growing up in Louisiana. However, it always had a spooky vibe rather than a romantic vibe when it uh, showed up in stories that I grew up with. Well, it is kind of her ghostly remains. Once and only once, I heard it told that the Spaniard was her lover and that they were running away because her tribe disapproved. Her hair became hung in a tree branch as they fled and he cut it off to free her, leaving it behind. Knowing what I know of Europeans and their colonial practices, I find this the most unlikely version, probably told by a Spaniard who wanted it to seem like a romantic hero story. No one dies in that version. Yeah, highly unlikely for the Spaniard to be the hero. <laughs> yeah, it kind of gives Pocahontas vibes. <laughs> there is a version from Louisiana that has the heroine as a Choctaw medicine woman, who is the daughter of the Choctaw deity Le Père de Milf. I had a, had the pronunciation. <laughs> um, it's French. The father of a thousand leaves. And his union with an oak tree. So I guess that makes her a nymph. Uh, this one has her wedding a Spanish noble, but she is raped by a jealous lover on her, their wedding night. So I guess she had two guys. Um, I don't know that. I don't know that rape counts as having another guy. <laughs> well, it says, no, she no. says she was raped by a jealous lover. Uh, the, the, the fact that they refer to him as a lover implies that there was some consent somewhere. In the past, perhaps? In the like past. The past. A like, rejected, yeah. a jilted lover. A right. Be Before the Spanish noble. Yeah. But it doesn't say who he is. He could be Spanish or indigenous or French. or It doesn't say. It just calls him a jealous lover. Well, if they don't give him a, a, a classification, he's probably French if he's from Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the tribe instructs the nobleman, her husband to construct a scaffolding and place her body in the trees to be closer to the spirits, you know, because, you know, her father is the spirits. But he's a good Catholic, and he's determined to inter her under the earth. Uh, he compromises by hanging her hair in the trees instead. You know, they obviously weren't in South Louisiana, because you don't bury bodies there, or they will float back up when it rains. However, a story where the poor woman gets raped does sound like something that people in Louisiana would come up with. Raped to death. Ew. <laughs> no, nah, Catholics tried the burying thing until they finally gave in and put the bodies in crypts instead. Eh, Catholics think they know everything. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Let's move on to the reading of the story, and then we can discuss more after. Before the European settlers came to North America, the Timucua-speaking tribes lived in the land between the black water of the swamp and the great ocean where the sun rose. Among these tribes there lived a woman of such beauty that only the sun himself outshone her face. Every morning she rose and she washed, and she prayed to the sun for a strong, brave husband to provide meat for her family while she kept the home. In time, the strongest, most handsome man came from a neighboring tribe, and seeing how devotedly she worshipped and how her beauty outshone all but the sun himself, he immediately prayed to the moon that she should be his wife, for he loved her more than life itself. As the sun began to set, the woman saw the man praying to the moon, and she fell in love with him as well. So strong was their love that everyone who met them could see it. As time went by, the two were joined. Their love was blessed, for he always had a generous hunt, and she always had a bountiful harvest. Weeds did not choke her plants. Her squashes were fat and sweet. Never did a snake cross his path, nor an alligator trouble him as he hunted in the swamp, for even the weeds and the animals could see how much they loved each other. But one night, as they lay sleeping, an owl lighted on the thatch of their house and hooted. Once, twice, thrice he hooted his mournful warning. In the morning ships appeared on the horizon. Spanish ships, but the Timucua people didn't know they were Spanish, for they didn't know of Spain or the lands across the great ocean. The men who came from the ships spoke a strange language, but they wished to know more about the land they had discovered so far from their home, and so the Timucua people did what they could to help them. They carried the Spanish across the swamps and learned their language so that they could communicate. But the Timucua man and woman were troubled, for every night the owl again lighted on the thatch of their house and hooted three times. It came about that one of the Spanish men spied the young woman, and her beauty overwhelmed him so that he became jealous. He wished to take the woman for his own. He plotted to kill the man and steal the woman away, but the sun intervened to make trees sprout in his path, and the moon intervened to cause false reflections in the woods, and so the Spaniard could never reach the man and the woman to trouble them. But still the owl came each night and lighted on the thatch of their house and hooted three times. Until one night it came about that the man was away on a long hunt, leaving the woman behind to tend the house. The Spaniard, seeing her alone, crept up on her door, he knocked, and when she came out, he grabbed her by her long hair. She screamed and tore away from him, running into the woods. Her lover, hearing her screams, raced back from his hunting and caught her, and together they ran from the Spaniard. But the Spaniard was wily and clever, and he called for his fellows to help him. Together they surrounded the couple, and, though the man fought brave and strong, they were struck down where they stood at the base of the oldest oak tree in the woods. The tree itself struck back, and a huge limb broke and fell on the Spaniards, crushing them all at once so thoroughly that even the alligators took no notice of their mangled and muddled bodies, and the swamp swallowed them up in minutes. Grieving, the Timucua people cut off the woman's long hair and shaved the man's topknot, as was their custom, and hung the hair in the trees as a tribute. As the sun rose, the hair spread from tree to tree with each ray that touched it, until the whole swamp was full and beautiful hair draped from every tree. When the moon rose, the dew glistened on the hanging strands, making them glitter and shine in the moonlight, as fireflies twinkled and danced, and the cries of cranes rattled out across the night. The Timucua are long gone now, but if you travel into the Okefenokee Swamp, you can still see the hair in the trees. Some call it Spanish moss, some call it Frenchman's hair or Spanish beard, but in the moonlight, when the fireflies twinkle and the sandhill cranes chortle, 
you can see that it is the hair of two people so in love that the sun and the moon decorated the swamp in their memory. And we are back. So, what is your favorite part or version? My favorite is Polly's camp story version. You know, I got chills reading that. Like, I wrote it down and I still got chills. <laughs> because it's so well written. You did a great job. Oh, thank you. <laughs> a lot of the time, the teller will use the name Gorez Goes as the name of the pirate who is pursuing the native woman. He is fearfully described as a huge man, six or seven or eight feet tall, with enormous bulging muscles and fearsome wild black hair and a thick beard. That I left... Them- that gives some Our Flag Means Death vibes. <laughs> yeah. I, I left Senor Violador nameless in my version because I didn't want the story to be about him. Why should he have a name when she does not? Truth. You know, the lack of names gives it a nice representation of culture rather than tied to a particular person vibe. I really like it. Yeah, a version of the Gores Goes story sets it among the Kusabo people of what is now South Carolina. He goes to kill her father, the chief, and she says, no, no, I'll let you pursue me. You don't kill my father. If you catch me, you can have me. So he does, and she runs, and she climbs a tree and leaps from limb to limb through the forest, and he's not so nimble. And the trees caught him by his giant bushy beard. And she laughs and tells him, ha ha, now the trees have you. And she <laughs> runs away. And Gorez goes, remains trapped in the tree branches and dies. Now his beard hangs in the trees. And that's why some people call it Spanish beard instead of Spanish moss. Ooh, I like that version. <laughs> yeah, take that, creepy dude. <laughs> I love that version too. She's spunky. It sounds great. <laughs> Though my favorite part of this version of the story is the trees trying to protect them. My little romantic heart liked the imagery of nature trying to keep such a wholesome love safe. It was very sad that the earth couldn't stand against the evil intentions of the horrible European men, which, you know, is very par for the course. Yeah, they just kill the earth. (laughs) Kill everything. Reading this reminded me of one of my favorite songs from my childhood. It was the Native American Romeo and Juliet, you know, running bear, love little white dove with love that couldn't die. I love that I song. I love that song. We had it on 8-track in the car, so we, we get to hear it on car rides to Granddaddy's house. You know, I learned it from my grandpa. Billy Thundercloud and the Chieftains were from the same reservation as my grandpa. So every time they performed at the Old South Jamboree, Grandpa would take me to their concerts. I had like three of their albums and I even got autographs on them. Um, I was a big fan. Their recording is, of course, my favorite. No, of course. <laughs> Wouldn't it have to be? <laughs> Required. <laughs> well, I was like, you know, but my, my cousin Ferlin Husky is, you know, he has the best version of, of uh, On the Wings of a Dove. Oh, that's a beautiful song. Yes. <laughs> so uh, moving into our... Our new segment, what is y'all's least favorite part or version? I like the version I heard at camp. Well, told at camp. Usually the kids wanted me to do the telling. That was fine. I mean, I didn't have to tell the hook hand story. (laughs) That's a camp story I do know. (laughs) Yeah. 
There's there's another version which I had never heard until I started researching for this. It's similar. I get a native woman pursued by a European invader who thinks that because she's pretty, that means he can bed her. Of course. Uh, she prays to the spirits to hide her, and the Spanish moss grows in the trees to conceal her. That night, she sleeps in a nest of Spanish moss grown for her by the tall oak tree wherein she hid. Sometimes she has a baby with her. Nobody dies in that version. It's very Sacagawea. You know, I think my least favorite part of this story isn't really about this story in particular. It is just such a head-shaking disappointment about just how many ancient legends have a woman dying because a man decides to take advantage of her as the core plot point. It has been such an ubiquitous part of life that it can be a plot point that no one even questions why or how such a thing could happen. Or, or maybe the fact that she was somewhere between 12 and 15. Right? Ugh. You know, actually for the timeline, it doesn't bother me as much that she was 15. The maturity and life experience of a 15-year-old Native American woman has nothing in common with the maturity and life experience of a 15-year-old today. It's comparing apples and oranges. Heck, even thinking of my level of responsibility at 15 in the 80s compared to my students today is terrifying. I was working and raising my older sister's kid. Most of the 15-year-olds today aren't even allowed to be home without supervision. Well, maybe it's that she was 12 or 15 and he was probably 30. I mean, I dated a 36-year-old when I was 18. And looking back, I am kind of creeped out by it. <laughs> yeah, 30 or more. And it bothers me that children didn't have a childhood, regardless of the time period. It bothers me that you had less of a childhood also. And yeah, the stories with 12-year-old and younger are always worse in their own evil humanity way. Oh, don't get me wrong. I hate what happens to her. And the behavior of her attacker is reprehensible, regardless of her age. If she was 12 or 42, his actions are mm -hmm. just as heinous. Yeah, that's truth. But the story specifically calls out the age of 15 and implies, well, not Polly's story, the other story you read, <laughs> specifically calls out the age of 15 and implies that that adds to beauty, youth and beauty, blah, blah, ew. Lolita culture so gross. Yeah, because, you know, Truth. only childbearing beauty has value. Blah. <laughs> 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 okay, okay. I'm going to move us off this topic and on to Hag Corner just so I can keep my last meal down. <laughs> Welcome to Hag Corner. Today, I'm covering Spanish moss. Spanish moss is native to Mexico, Central America, South America, the U.S., all the way from Texas to Virginia, and the Caribbean. It was used in making fire-tempered pottery since it burned away, allowing the clay to retain its shape. And we use disposable forms similar to this to this date. It was also used in building by mixing it with mud, and many structures that it was used in are still standing. 
The Native American word for it translates to tree hair, while the French word translates to Spanish beard. As you see, I did not try and pronounce it like Polly did earlier. <laughs> as in, they, they translated it to Spanish beard as an insult to Spanish conquistadors' beards. The Spanish, in return, called it French hair. <laughs> yeah, the Spanish just called it that to insult the French. I can't find any lore yep. connecting a Frenchman to the legends. Well, to be fair, everyone loves to insult the French. Well, they have that outrageous accent. <laughs> you silly king. Yeah. I find it humorous that the return insult is the one that stuck. But to continue, birds nest in the moss, and it is a great habitat for critters of all kinds, such as spiders, bats, and frogs. But not chiggers. I hear that all the time, that Spanish moss has chiggers. Don't touch it. You're going to get chiggers. Man, we used to pin that sh stuff in our hair and <laughs> pretend to be old hag ladies when we were kids chickers live in grass on the ground not in spanish moss in the trees yes that is true fleas and chickers only invade the moss after it is on the ground so gather it from the trees and say hello to the spiders and butterflies that you interrupted but you won't get chiggers or ticks if you gather it from the trees. <laughs> so Spanish moss is considered non-parasitic. It is an air plant, a type of bromeliad, strangely related to pineapples. Humst can also grow in trees, but people don't climb as well as our ancestors. So we banished them to the ground. So Spanish moss is non-parasitic and is supported by other plants, but it is not feeding on them. It's more like symbiotic, but it doesn't really benefit the trees. It just does no harm. In medicinal lore, it was used as an astringent and antibacterial. It was also used to treat rheumatism and arthritis as a tea or a bath or an ungent, I think they said it was, and was also used for hemorrhoids along with treating fevers and chills. In other lore, it was used to stuff voodoo dolls in Louisiana, and it was also used in all sorts of cushions and mattresses historically, and bedding made from it was said to stay cooler at night. So now for the real science, while it does have a high level of antioxidants, I must give my antioxidant warning in that higher doses of antioxidants have been proven in peer-reviewed studies to have the opposite effect that most people are aiming for. Those free radicals are onto you and they will not be stopped so easily. So just eat your veggies. <laughs> Modern studies are finding possible uses such as the lowering of blood glucose in lab animals, some dermatological and analgesic uses, but nothing peer-reviewed yet that I can find. So in other words, if you want to use it as traditional medicine, do your research and be careful since possible toxicity has not been fully explored. I need to get me some from our arthritis. It doesn't grow around here. I sure miss seeing it draped all ethereal in the live oaks, which also don't grow here. I think I'm homesick. The moss and the trees are one of the few things I miss about Louisiana. There are few things in this world as beautiful as a huge oak tree with limbs so heavy they touch the ground, draped with silvery strands of moss in the morning fog. Or the fireflies dancing among the strands of moss at night. All the oaks here just go straight up. No matter the name or the shape of the tree, moss dangling from the branches is both spooky and pretty. All right, so that wraps up the Spanish 
moss info in hag corner. You can keep wearing it in your hair when you're going for the hag look. This hag fully approves. So, now that we're back from Hag Corner, what are the original lessons? Beware of Spaniards bearing gifts. Or just beware of Spaniards in general. I guess this is our obligatory Princess Bride reference here. I give you my word as a Spaniard. No good. I've known too many Spaniards. (laughs) How about just beware of Europeans? I would say that would be a central theme to native stories everywhere. Yeah, like... The whole dang world. Seriously. So true. When you actually study history, you begin to notice a theme. Colonizers. Yeah. So what do you think the modern... We, we're just all about the blech today, aren't we? <laughs> so, what do you think the modern lesson could be? Beware of Spaniards bearing gifts. <laughs> Beware of all colonizers, really. Historically, very bad things happen to indigenous populations, uh, even now, like right now, yeah. as we're talking right now. Um, another modern lesson might be that beauty is a curse if you're a young woman. Because in every version of this tale, horrible things happen to these women simply because they were beautiful, which does read true even today. Men did some stupid shit when they would see my mama with her blue black hair. Oh, sorry. Stupid stuff. Um, when they would see my mama with her blue black hair and cat green eyes. I spent my life wanting to find that balance of pretty enough to not be shunned in public, but not so pretty that I was putting myself in danger. Yeah, the trick is to be pretty and scary or be friends with the trees. <laughs> trees help. Doesn't always work. Believe me, my mama was scary, and it did not keep men from being stupid. I mean, can you keep men from being stupid? <laughs> Nothing is capable of that. You just need to keep them scared and guessing. You know, be the hag. <laughs> well, I've got a good start. I have the ten cats. <laughs> <laughs> I've only got the one, but he is a black cat, so he gets extra hag points. <laughs> I don't think I have any hag qualities. I need to work Aww. on that. You're the well, you're the matronly Baba Yaga. You're named Angel. It's true. It's true. Does that count for or against? Though? I think it puts her in a whole other category. It's true. Yeah. So... In closing, what do you think happened after the story? Well, they were all dead. But but you know the Tamiqua people actually had female tribal chiefs. So if she was one if she was one of the versions that survived, she could have gone on to be a chiefess. Although mm-hmm. it wasn't a hereditary appointment, but rather elected, if I understand correctly. Women, although they kept to traditional responsibilities of keeping the home while the men went out to hunt and gather, could also be medicine women, spirit guides, shamans, or chiefs. And the Tamiqua recognized trans and two-spirit people. You know, growing up in a matriarchy household, I have always been very approving of societies run by women. Things just become so much cleaner and better organized. Also... Whoever thought that tracing lineage through the male line was a good idea was an idiot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, let's see what happened after this story. I don't know. 
Columbus was brought up on charges of cruelty and murder by the crown and then lauded as a hero by random colonizers in the new world, uh, reality's pretty dystopian. Oh, yeah. I love how everyone forgets that Columbus was arrested and imprisoned by the Spanish court due to all the complaints of administrative misconduct and abuse. Administrative but it wasn't, it wasn't Columbus's people who encountered the Tamiqua, but yeah, he was lauded as a hero by a bunch of racist old white guys. That's that's, that's it. It's only the matriarchal <laughs> DNA that remains the same anyway. In fact, two different countries claim to have Columbus's remains. But only one of them has a matriarchal ancestor to prove which remains are his through the matriarchal DNA. So the two countries with the disputed remains, they both refuse to get the DNA tested. Because neither one of them wants to be wrong. <laughs> well, but why do they really want to have him? <laughs> uh, phew, who knows? So let's see. What happened after the story? Hmm. I think the spirit of the lovers infused the moss. It influenced Ooh. the moss to become beautiful and luxurious to all who looked upon it with loving or innocent hearts. But it haunted the Spanish who infiltrated the lands. It would twist itself into terrifying shapes in twilight mist and lured countless invaders to horrible deaths. Well, you know it was infused with their spirits. How else would it age and turn from black to gray? I'm just... We gotta write a book, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. All of these little snippets that I capture could be combined into man, a fantastic fantasy novel. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least one of us is published. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Working on it. Working on increasing that. Working on increasing it. Well, you have two books out now, right? Yes. I, I think well, I I'm only have fan fiction. I have not part of yet two done books. my own publication, but I'm working on it. Part of two books is two books more than I have. <laughs> yeah. uh, fan, fan fiction doesn't count. Oh, I mean, if I get counts, to count fan fiction, I got as... lots more. <laughs> right? <laughs> hey, hey, sometimes the fan fiction is better than the original. <laughs> There, a lot of times. There, there are fan fictions I've read over and over when I read the original once. There are, there's, um, let's see, Good Omens. Good oh, Omens yeah. is like, it's like uh, he took all of the fan fiction and made it real. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think, I think Azaraphale and Crowley actually wrote that book. <laughs> uh, they, but they did though. They, they used each other as I mean, bases the, for the characters. The, the, the spooky, <laughs> the spooky part is where the, the two of them went back to the book and they're like, I didn't write that part. And the other one's like, oh, I didn't write that part. And <laughs> neither one of them remembered writing that part of the book. <laughs> right. And they were mailing it back and forth. They probably could have figured it out. But but yeah, that's just, yeah. One of the best books and made into a good TV show just probably because um, he was. Uh, they, they better make another season. Or I'm going to die mad at Metatron. Oh, they, they are. Spoilers. It, he Spoiler already alert. He already said that even if they don't get another episode or another season that he will write a book oh good so good no worry good yeah i'll be all, already... i'll be all over that why, why is metatron always like a douchebag uh, he's a douchebag and super like, natural yeah he, he, well i mean he kind of is in in um dogma also it's true it's true i mean i guess if you're the voice of god you gotta have some balls on you well not I mean, in dogma you gotta have, you gotta have some, <laughs> <I know. laughs> 
I can't leave some of that in. <laughs> okay. So I, I guess if you're going to, I guess if you're going to be the voice of God, you have to have some ego on you. Okay. <laughs> Oh, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to do a, a patron cut on that last thing. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, I think that winds us down. I think we're wrapped up. Woot. Guess I'll go get cleaned up to go out for my anniversary. Have fun. I'm gonna go sit and suck on ginger candies and, and not talk. I'm glad those are working God, for you. I hope your voice comes back soon. I it makes me so sad. I really miss my voice. I I have been more depressed by not being able to sing than I was when my back was broken. Wow. Mm. That's very poignant. It's hard to lose music. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I love y'all. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Check us out on Patreon. You can help us meet our small goal of breaking even and covering our expenses. Your support helps pay for all of the things that podcasting requires and helps keep this show alive and growing. If you can't afford to support us financially, go give us a good review, subscribe or follow, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to fact check us and offer suggestions to make our show better for you. You can also send us an email at lostinrevisionpodcast at gmail.com. There's a lot more. All at the end of the road